the idea that things are consolidating is kind of nonsense. It's so easy to build an app nowadays. A single developer can build a small bit of functionality that solves a very specific niche problem so quickly and so much better than like a massive conglomerate of apps can. It just makes sense that there's going to be this unbundling of point-specific solution apps that do one thing, one thing really well, and they're going to be the best at that one thing. Welcome to SaaS Open Mic by Chartmogul. I'm Ed Shelley. This is a conversation I've been excited to bring you for a long time. This week on the show is Wade Foster, co-founder and CEO of automation platform Zapier. Zapier, which is not pronounced Zapier by the way, I made this mistake, was founded in 2011 by Wade and his two co-founders who saw growing need for a scalable way for services to talk to each other on the web without the need for writing code. Zapier went through Y Combinator back in 2012 and then went on to raise just $1 million before growing to become cash flow positive with over 25,000 paying customers and now nearly 40 remote employees. I wanted to ask Wade about how Zapier fits into the rise of APIs in SaaS, the future of connected web apps and how they used brute force to grow the platform in the early days. Plus, a ton more. This conversation is packed with insights for you to take away. So I hope you enjoy. If you do enjoy the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, in SoundCloud, or in your usual podcast player, and share it with someone who'd also enjoy it. Here's my discussion with Wade Foster, CEO of Zapier. So Wade, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ed. I'm excited. Yeah, no, I, I have such a huge list of questions here that I put together, um, which probably reflects my enthusiasm, not not only for um, Zapier as, as a company and a product, but I think you guys fit so well into like certain trends in the SaaS industry today, some of which we we write about on a regular basis at Chartmogul. So it would be great to get your input on some of that too. Um, we should probably start at the beginning. And, and, and I guess that means uh, explaining a little bit about what Zapier is for, for people who don't know. Like when, when people ask who you are and, and what you do, what, what do you say? Yeah, well, Zapier it's a, it is a workflow automation app. Um, and it hooks into about 800 of you know the most popular SaaS web apps um, uh, that you might use to kind of get work done. So you can set up automations between things like Salesforce, Google Apps, Slack, Dropbox, Chartmogul, uh, you name it, right? <laughs> yeah, what's the most common example that you use to, to describe to people what Zapier can do? Yeah, so like a, a simple thing you might do is every time I get an email in you know Gmail that has an attachment, save the attachment to Dropbox. Uh, so that might be like a simple example. Um, but you can also you know get a lot more creative in the things you can do um, as well because it's you can you know chain events across multiple apps and build like these really complex workflows. Um, so you can get you know your limitation is really creativity. 
And if, if I'm right, um, correct me if I'm not, but I, from my research here, it seems like you guys were founded back in 2011. You've been through Y Combinator. Um, you also raised money that way, but are now a self-sufficient, profitable business. Is that right? Yeah, you got it. Great. Awesome. How So, I mean, 2011, things looked a little bit different in, in the SaaS space. Mm-hmm. Um and obviously, you guys must have had a, quite a bit of foresight to see kind of this trend in, in apps that have a kind of growing need to communicate with each other, um, especially in SaaS, and, and to kind of fill that with this automation tool. Uh, like, how did things look back then? And how did you manage to, or why did you decide to jump on um, building Zapier? Yeah, so we, we'd had, you know, we were freelancing and we'd get an approach every now and then to build kind of these one-off integrations, like, you know, get PayPal sales into QuickBooks for me, take this list of leads and push it into Salesforce, um, that that sort of thing. And, um, you know, we realized like, hey, you know, my, my founder, Brian, pitched me over IM and was like, hey, I think we could build something that automates this for folks. And, and the timing really seemed right. You know, a- APIs were starting to come into their own. Uh, Stripe was like just starting to get some very early momentum. Twilio was kind of, you know, pr- pretty pretty hot back then. Uh, mm. it was, so it was like, you know, these kind of API a- APIs were just getting more love um, than they had, had ever gotten in the past. Mm. I mean, obviously, fast forwarding to to 2017, things have really just increased in in that in that same trend, and we have businesses now that are p- purely API based um so so we're talking like api first rather than Mm -hmm. products which support um kind of a programmatic interface was this something that you saw happening or or did you just act on what you saw at the time yeah i mean i don't know that i expected i I guess it makes sense right you know we'd seen twilio we'd seen stripe um you know you'd seen like the email the transaction email providers so like mailgun and uh, I think Mandrel and SendGrid were both around. So it was like, you know, API to send an email. And so it kind of made sense that APIs would, would become more of a thing that you'd see companies like um, Lob where you can, you know, do an API call to send a postcard or like Checker where you could do an API call to do like a background check. So it's like, hmm. you know, an API call to do just this bit of functionality and then a company has abstracted all the messy work that ha- goes into doing all that stuff behind hmm. the scenes for you. So it kind of makes sense that, you know, lots of these types of things you might do in a business that are like just bits of functionality would get abstracted into an API call. Yeah. And obviously Zapier is is a product that is effectively like the glue that holds all of these services together. And with, I guess, without a lot of these other platforms and, and partners that you have, like they're, the product isn't really much in itself, right? It, it doesn't work without all of these integrations and, and partnerships that you've built. Um, what are... What are the challenges in building a business that that relies so much on other platforms and services? Sure. Um, well, I mean, you the the big one is that you don't control, like you don't have full control over uh, what happens, right? Um, you know, we have eight hundred plus partners, and we can influence them, and you know, make suggestions and recommendations, and and our ability to influence over time has grown. But at the end of the day, you know, every single one of our partners, they set their own roadmaps. They have their own business models. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 
they set their own timelines for when things ship. And so we still have to kind of work with them on that, right? Like we can't, you know, we might think something is the greatest thing under the, in the world. And it's like, Hey, you guys should totally do this. This is going to really change, change how business operates. And, and if they don't buy into that, that means it's probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a challenge, you know, and of course we have to deal with, uh, quality issues and things like that, where APIs, you know, versions change and, you know, quality may, might degrade and things like that. So we have a bunch of alerting and monitoring in place to make sure that, um, you know, the, the quality of all the things you're doing on Zapier stays super high. Yep. Yep. So you mentioned you have now, uh, what was it? 800 integrations or something like that. Yep. Um, back mm-hmm. in the early days, um, I guess it was probably much harder to kind of kickstart your, your growth, given that you, you needed you needed some integrations and you needed to reach a certain volume to like convince people of the value of the service. I'm just yeah. wondering how, how you managed to do that in the beginning when you, when you started from nothing. I mean, we basically just brute forced it. So, you know, we, we looked at around and we kind of made, you know, gut calls on what we thought were popular. So, Hey, you know, MailChimp's popular. Let's build an integration into MailChimp. Zendesk is popular. Let's build an integration into Zendesk. Uh, PayPal's popular. Let's see if we can get PayPal on Zapier, right? So we just mm-hmm. went out, found the public API docs. If the API docs were like easy to work with, the app was popular, we just built it. Um, mm-hmm. And we kind of started to set up a framework for like how to build these so that it was a little more plug and play for us. So, you know, it was fast. Like we got to where, you know, we could build integrations in, you know, well now, like if it's, a, you know, the, the docs are good and clean, like we can build an integration in, you know, 15 minutes. Um, wow. okay. so it can be really, really fast for us. Um, did you see like a tipping point there where at a certain kind of size, people are more coming t- to you to, to propose partnerships? Yeah. So around the, around when we got to about, I'd say 50 apps on Zapier was when we started to get a lot more inbound interest in people wanting apps on Zapier. We'd get emails and say like, hey, how can we get our app on Zapier? Or, hey, why isn't this popular app on Zapier? You know, and the answer was, well, we're three three guys just, you know, brute forcing this. Like we can only build so many so fast, right? Mm. Um, and so with that being the answer, we were like, well, how can we make this self-serve? How can we empower others to, to build on Zapier? And so in 2012, um, as we were going through Y Combinator, the, the big thing we released that summer was our developer platform, uh, mm-hmm. which allowed people to build the integrations into Zapier. One thing that's really interesting to me as, as a marketing professional is, is kind of approaching Zapier from a marketing perspective. Um, and I believe your background's in, in marketing too, is that right? Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's this thing of having a product that is not kind of inherently visual in its nature and and the challenge of marketing the value of a product like Zapier when when you don't it's very difficult to show that especially on a on a landing page or on your on your website like what what's your approach for that it seems to me like it's very much like example driven and you really have to convey the value through specific examples yeah you're exactly right and one of the things we realized early on was uh, you know, people already wanted integrations. You know, there was already MailChimp had an integration directory. Salesforce had the app exchange. QuickBooks has apps.com, right? So there's all these different places where people were already looking for integrations. So we didn't need to necessarily convince our earliest users to use an integration. They were already, you know, searching that out. We basically mm-hmm. just had to say, hey, we've got one, right? Um mm-hmm. 
So we were like the only, you know, the only person in town, more or less, that would offer that. And so uh, for us, it was like, okay, let's target and make sure that the people that are looking for integrations of, you know, different varieties can find us. Mm. Um, and we didn't have to do as much to say like, you know, this is what it looks like. These are the benefits. These are the features, like all that sort of thing. Instead, people just kind of knew. Okay. So I'm guessing then from that, that the, probably the, the biggest way that people find Zapier is, is through these kind of existing integrations and app, uh, stores and marketplaces and things. Yeah, that's definitely a big way. And then, um, also through, uh, search. So, you know, going to Google and saying like, does this thing exist? Um, mm. and then through, you know, now word of mouth is pretty big as well too. Mm, that's, that's really interesting. Um, so another thing I wanted to talk about was pricing because I think it's it's a huge topic and a lot of people in SaaS um, struggle to, especially in in the early days, find a pricing model for their product. And for a product that's so focused around kind of integrations and uh, is kind of infrastructure kind of product, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to to understand why you guys decided to go first of all with the freemium model and whether mm-hmm. whether you think that's like really critical to the growth at, at Zapier? So we started not as freemium. So for about the okay. first six months, we had a, a paid subscription model and uh, only uh, with a free trial. Right. And we did that because we had no money. Like we, <laughs> you know, we're a bootstrap business. Yeah. Like we had to make money. So we started that way. Um, after we went through YC, we kind of revisited it because we were able to get a little bit of money in the bank and we're like, okay, maybe freemium is something that could work for us. Mm. And, and the big reason we, we decided to try was because one, we knew that the, we we realized that the market of people that could use Zapier was massive. Um, it was enormous. So we didn't need everyone to pay us to make a nice, a a really good business out of it. Mm -hmm. And two, freemium really allowed people to get in and play with the product uh, and try and figure out what they wanted to use it for. Because Zapier isn't always a thing that you can figure out right away, the very first thing. Sometimes you have to figure out what's the use case that I want to use? Mm-hmm. How do I set this up? Right? Like there's some, you got to figure out how to plug it into a few other pieces. Yeah. So while it's easy to do that stuff, um, sometimes it needs that kind of creative spark before you get started. Mm-hmm. And freemium really allowed people to, to do that. Um, Mm. The other thing freemium really helped us out was, was with our partnerships. Um, it really helped to have that free plan, that generous free plan to get partners to say like, yeah, I'm, I'm cool pointing my, my, my customers to Zapier because I know that people can try it for free. There's like, it's really easy just to get started. So it really made it easy for other partners to refer people to Zapier. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing there, I can probably contribute here from a, from a customer perspective is that. Um, when, when you do get that realization of value, so when you've plugged things together and you, you've set up a flow that, that makes sense for you, um, the value becomes clear so quickly and so strongly that it's, it's almost a no brainer to, to fit that into your, your work process. And obviously once you've done that, it, it's, it's such a sticky product because you've, you, you almost can't go back, right? Like you've, you say, <laughs> yeah. You've, added so much efficiency or you saved a lot of time or you've achieved something that you just wouldn't be able to achieve without the tool, um, that it's, it's almost just a no brainer to, to become a, a paying customer at that point. 
yeah, like you said, it's, you know, once you automate, like, you know, away two or three, four hours of your week, right? Like, are you really going to kind of want to go back to how it was before? Yeah. Um, and you don't. And, I, you know, another interesting thing I think that exists here, which I didn't realize going in, but I saw I saw a study done by Ikea where folks that bought things from Ikea and then built, you know, the, Ikea, you always have to assemble everything, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so that act of going through and assembling Ikea furniture makes people more value it when they go to resell it a lot higher than it really should be valued at. So they try and resell things at a much higher rate than is reasonable. Huh. And it the reason people said that was was because folks went through the emotional uh, you know attachment of building this thing. Mm-hmm. And I think Zapier has a bit of that too, right? Like you make this little cool little thing, right? Yeah. And at the end you get it and it's like, this works. This is awesome. Yeah. Uh, and so you kind of have the affinity towards it uh, as well. That's true. That's true. I can identify with that. Like this, so we've we've built like a pretty solid marketing flow for handling kind of a lead pipeline. And, and it's definitely like, this is something that we've designed and, and created, Um I get what you mean there. It's it's like our thing, definitely. Mm-hmm. And we obviously optimize that over time and, and it's still flexible and we can tweak it. But yeah, the sense of creation there is really strong. Yep. Just another question there. You mentioned that uh, obviously going through YC changed things for you a little bit in when it came to your decision around freemium. Are there other things that have really uh, changed in your in your view from your original vision for, for Zapier? You know, honestly, not too much, you know, um, from the very get go, it was like, let's, let's build kind of an integration hub. Let's build a way for people to connect apps. Um, you know, one big change was, uh, about a year ago. Now we launched multi-steps apps so you could chain actions along. Hmm. Um, so that was like a big improvement to the product, uh, that allowed people to do a lot of things that you couldn't do as app year before. And, yeah. But that was more of an ev- evolution of the product and less of a, you know, oh, we didn't expect this to happen sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I think a lot of the success of, of Zapier today, at least, is because we've seen a lot of this kind of unbundling of, of SaaS products into like very small, mm-hmm. um, narrow solutions that solve like one small problem. And obviously, we need all of these different services to to talk to each other if you want to have an efficient uh, mm-hmm. work work process. And like, definitely, if you look at a, a marketer's software stack today, it's it's actually it's kind of insane. Like the number of different um, tools we use is like way more than it than it would have been uh, kind of yep. ten years ago. How do you see this kind of trend in in the industry? Like a lot of people talk about the unbundling of SaaS, but they there is also a sense that there is like this cycle where things eventually consolidate again into mm-hmm. into big kind of single uh, solutions. Like, is that something that you would agree with, or like, what do you think about that? I, I think the 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 idea that things are consolidating is kind of nonsense. Um, yeah, like in one or two situations, you know, there is some consolidation, but on the whole, like. It's so easy to build an app nowadays. Like the tooling is so good that a single developer can build a small bit of functionality that solves a very specific niche problem so quickly and so much better than like a massive conglomerate of apps can mm-hmm. that it just makes sense that there's going to be this unbundling of point specific solution apps that do one thing, one thing really well, and they're going to be the best at that one thing. 
Um, mm. I mean, we, we, we mentioned at the very beginning of this call, the API-ification of all these things. Like, that's totally a part of it. It's like, look, we have an API. It does one thing. It sends a postcard or it sends, you know, uh, an email or it does a charge, right? Like, mm -hmm. these are just bits of functionality. And I think when you look around, especially in small businesses, I think, you know, enterprise software is a different ball, ball game where, like, the, the bundling does make sense a, a, to, a, to a degree, and I understand why they're looking for it. But in small mm -hmm. business and in mid-market business, people just want – they don't want these massive tools. They want – one thing, like it's like, I just need to send an email to a customer. I just need to be able to text them when this happens, right? Mm -hmm. They don't want to add like a lot of complexity to their life. They really just want that one thing that can really do and allow them to get their market, their messaging across to customers or, you know, uh, something like that. Mm. And, and I guess like a selection of well-targeted small uh, solutions is always going to be a much better fit for people than a large a large suite of applications that probably like 70% of which are not designed for that person's specific problem. Yeah, I exactly. I mean, that's the challenge, you know, as you start to get bigger and bigger, as you start to add multiple product lines. But, you know, when you have multiple product lines, it's like, well, which one's the most important? One is going to get more uh, love than another one. And so like the other apps are kind of half-baked compared to the main principal app. Um, and maybe they're feature bloated. And so when you sign up for these, it's like, well, which pieces of this do I actually want to use? And because there's so much other stuff going on, it's actually harder to get started using it. We're building all these services today that are built uh, using APIs to, to communicate with each other and, um, and to integrate with different services. Do you have any vision for what the extension of this is? To me, there's still a lot of problems around like integrating APIs and it's obviously still like a highly technical uh, job to do that. Is there mm -hmm. some like V2 of this that um, where everything just talks to each other, talks to each other without the need for, for that? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Zapier is like a, a big part of the solution for some of this stuff. We mm -hmm. have people who are now, they're not engineers, but they're using tools like Twilio or like SendGrid. Um, and Stripe to like deliver products to folks, just basic marketers who have like never made an API call in their life uh, are able to use tools like Zapier because they are easy to use. Um, so it brings a level of accessibility to this functionality that um, you don't get when you, you know, require your user to know what, uh, you know, a CLI tool is or what a, you know, curl request is. Mm. I, I guess there's another part to this as well, which is uh, the the companies that are like building products today can much more easily become platforms through uh, Zapier and through integrating with yourselves, right? If it's mm -hmm. almost expected today that any product has like a whole suite of integrations to to connect the other services that you use. In fact, it's almost not feasible to launch such a product without that. Um, I, I might argue, but that's kind of a separate case, I guess. Is that how you think about this? Yeah, I mean, you know, it really is tough. You know, when, when you are building like your new app and it's very point specific and it does one thing really well, you really do need to hook into a, a, a slew of apps that your end user is going to be using in their workplace. Um, you know, I think we've all seen studies of, you know, average small business, you know, is using something like a dozen plus apps in, in their line of work already. Hmm. And, you know, if you can't hook into that existing tooling that they're using, those existing workflows, it's going to make it harder for you to get adoption for your app. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, 
I'm aware that we're we're a little short on time, so I'm gonna just jump a little bit here. Obviously, at, at Chartmogul, we're we're fairly obsessed with metrics and uh, specifically those around SaaS and subscription businesses. I would love to know what you guys use uh, at Zapier or what kind of metrics you use to to measure internally the success of the product. Yeah, we're looking at um, you know a handful of things on a on a you know, weekly basis. We're tracking our, our weekly signup rate, you know, to make sure we're driving new folks to the product. We're tracking uh, our activation rate to make sure that those people are becoming engaged with the product. Um, we're tracking our ability to drive expansion revenue. So to, to basically expand folks' usage of the product, you know, to go from using it for one thing to using it with five things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then all the way down to eventually tracking, you know, what's the revenue growth that we're generating uh, and are we able to to grow the business from there? Sure. Would you call yourselves a data driven business? Do do you like how much do you lean on the on the numbers and the metrics? I, I would say we're probably data informed uh, a little more than data driven. Um, mm. You know, we're not like not every decision always has a number that goes with it. Um, but we definitely try and pull in and use data uh, to help us make good decisions. But we're also you know using a lot of qualitative data. Uh, for talking to customers, talking to partners. And then we're also, you know, we also feel like gut feel is also a decent, uh, you know, metric as well. Like we can consider mm. ourselves experts because we've been in this a while now that like we can probably, our guts are maybe just a little bit better than the average person at, at guessing on this stuff. So in the absence of any data, I think that is also a fair thing to do as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree. Um, if you had one metric that was... To, to be your kind of compass metric, the, the one that you look to, to to really measure on a high level your success, what would that be? Uh, new weekly active users. New weekly active users. Okay, mm-hmm. right, interesting. And I guess that's something you guys follow very closely kind of week to week. Yeah, I'm looking at it pretty much every week. Cool. What, what are the kind of actions and decisions that that informs? Well, you know, I think it informs two things, right? Um, you're looking at new weekly active users. So it's it's making sure that, you know, we're driving new folks to the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big part of it. Like you're not going to grow that number if you aren't getting people, you know, driving traffic and converting those into signups. Mm-hmm. Um, you care about the active part because you don't want to just drive junk to your site. Like you want to drive people who are actually going to be the right people to it. Um and you care that it's growing. So you want to make sure that every week you're kind of raising the bar on that as well. Yeah, yeah. Almost every company has their own definition of success and, and their own kind of custom metric to define it. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to understand how, how different people see the success of their product, especially when it comes to engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so one last thing, uh, which I have to ask because it's, again, it's such a hot topic and, and you guys seem to have nailed uh, so well the concept of a fully distributed remote business. Mm-hmm. I guess the first question is like, why Why did you decide to build a completely remote company? Well, it was mostly out of necessity. So, you know, when we started Zapier, you know, we were in Columbia, Missouri. We had no money. Uh, and, you know, it started as a side project. It was a nights and weekends thing. And mm. so, you know, out the gate, we were just working on Zapier whenever we could, wherever we could. And so we got good at working this way. We got good at working through pull requests or through Trello cards or through chat. Um, and so it became pretty natural for us. 
And then after YC, when we went to start hiring folks, we didn't know anyone in the Bay Area because we'd only been there for a few weeks, uh, a couple months. And the people that we did know were friends who happened to live elsewhere. And so the first folks we hired were in Chicago and were back in Missouri. And so, hmm. you know, we started as a remote team and then we just got good at it as we went along. It was something that we perfected and and there was the tooling is good enough now that you can really make this work. There was enough example companies for us to look at and say, like, yeah, other folks are doing this successfully. Like, we think we can do it, too. For, for those people that are starting a, a business today and are considering uh, also going completely remote, what are the things that you would say are absolutely critical to get right? I think, you know, pay attention to, like, how you're documenting your work, right? Um, right. Out, out the gate. You know, try and work in public with your, you know, if you have teammates, you might just be you. But even if it's just you and one other person, you know, set up Slack and talk in public channels and, you know, document work and, you know, pull requests and things like that. Um, the toughest thing is, you know, in, in remote is when knowledge is hidden. So try not to hide what you know. Yeah, yeah. And when it comes to kind of artifacts, uh, s such as like meetings and, and, and get togethers and things, what do you guys have in terms of a structure that, that keeps you kind of on the right path? I mean, for meetings, they always have like an agenda. And, you know, generally, someone takes notes in like a Google Doc, and they always get pub published somewhere. So like outcomes, action items are, are available if someone needs to know what happened. Do you think hiring is more difficult when you're 100% remote? Um, I actually think it's easier. Uh, you have, you're not limited to the people that are within a 30 mile radius. And so you're able to, you know, hire from across the world. Um, you know, Stack Overflow also just did a study that showed, you know, I think 50% of people who are looking for jobs right now, remote is like on top of mind for them. Yeah. Um, so it's a huge portion of the market that cares about remote. Um, yeah. and so, uh, I, I think it really does increase your visibility um, in terms of in access to candidates, uh, which is great. Sure. Oh, that's awesome. Um, Wade, this, this has been really cool. There's so much stuff here that I want to go away and, and think about and break down. So, mm -hmm. so thanks for answering these, these questions. Um, where can people find out more? Um, I'm assuming that you're always hiring. <laughs> so mm -hmm. perhaps if, if you are, like, then feel free to, to plug that quickly. Yeah, yeah. So um, Zapier.com, Z-A-P-I-E-R, and you can check out our jobs page, Zapier.com slash jobs. We are hiring a lot right now. So, um, you know, smart folks who are interested, definitely check that out. And if, if you have any questions for me, you can find me hanging out on Twitter at Wade Foster and uh, Wade at Zapier.com is my email address. So I'm, I'm happy to help. Cool. And just quickly, what does is, what is 2017 hold for you guys? You, I'm sure you have big plans, but um, yeah, what's what's the future of Zapier like? Yeah, good question. We actually just launched uh, this past week uh, a new version of our developer platform that um, you know is, uh, lets you build apps via a command line, a CLI tool. So it uh, should make it a lot easier for folks who are you know building SaaS apps and have APIs to plug their apps into Zapier and make it easier for them to maintain. Yeah. Um, awesome. you know, we're also starting to work on a, a Teams product, so it should make it easier to collaborate and work on your Zaps uh, as, as part of a group and as an organization. Cool. That that sounds amazing. I can't guess, uh, wait to, uh, to to show some of this stuff to our team. I'm sure they'll be excited. Um, mm -hmm. Wade, thanks so much. It's It's been really cool to chat to you. And uh, yeah, have a great day. Yeah, you too, Ed. Cheers. Bye.